Hey, have you got bare walls at home or in your office? Do you want to surround yourself with the majesty and inspiration of our mountains? I'm talking truly incredible photography of Western North Carolina landscapes. RedRockPhotoNC.com. Stay tuned for details. It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What is going on? Welcome to the show. It's Monday. It's August 3rd, 2020. Thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it. And I uh, also want to give a shout out and thank you to some of the uh, the greatest people on the face of the planet. I'm talking about my patrons, Leslie and Dan, Trudy and Jan and Kim and Lair and Jenny and Sean and Luella and NC and Monica and Eugene and Dennis and Billy. I appreciate the support. I could not do the show without you. So last week, I guess it was, the uh, city of Asheville uh, made, I'm sorry, two weeks ago, the city of Asheville made uh, a lot of people happy when they thought that the city was approving reparations for black people in Asheville. <clears throat> they did not, actually. Uh, but that was the headline, because Joel Burgess, who is the uh, local left-wing Democrat with a byline posing as a reporter for the Citizen Times, I've been reading his work now for almost a decade, and he has earned every bit of that description. So uh, he definitely uh, uh, presented the story about two weeks ago that uh, in the frame of as a narrative of the uh, Asheville City Council approving reparations. They did not actually do that. And in, in, on, on this matter, I am in agreement with the radical left wing communist Marxist uh, mob that is uh, the Firestorm Collective. That's the local group here. And they are it, it's centered around a bookstore, <clears throat> which is weird because usually those types of folks, they're all about the the banning and the burning of the books, not necessarily the selling of the books. Not, I guess, the, do they give the books away as a communist collective? Anyway, these organized people, this this mob uh, that has been, you know, marching and leading this effort for the reparations, uh, they, uh, they are of the same mindset as I am on this, that the city council did not actually approve reparations for black people. They approved a process. They said, we're going to set up a commission. We are going to get reports and then we're going to make, they're they're going to make recommendations to the city council. And then the council will be free to act or not, I guess, on those recommendations down the line. Conveniently enough, when uh, half of the council members will no longer be on council, uh, Right, because one is running for a statewide office, the other is uh, retiring off of the uh, the board, and then the other one quit. He's already gone. Uh, he went to Philadelphia. So we're already going to be down like half a new council. So, right, Someone else is going to have to implement all of this. And so uh, that was sort of the biggest narrative fail that the local paper here, the Citizen Times of Asheville, that they uh, promulgated, that, uh, that somehow or another city council adopted reparations or came out, you know, passed a resolution for reparations, that they did reparations when they did not. Okay. Uh, So now the pressure campaign is on the county to have the county do this as well, because they want as many uh, local governments to sign on to this. Uh, And uh, they're going now to all of the different local towns in Buncombe County and the county commission. Uh, And so today is Monday, August 3rd, Tomorrow, the county commissioners of Buncombe County will be voting on the reparations uh, resolution. And 
part of me thinks just a sneaking suspicion that some of this has to do with putting Republicans in a bad spot before the upcoming election cycle. But whatever, uh, you know, I know, you know, the fierce urgency of now and all of that historic times, uh, which, by the way, the uh, the local reporter you know, keeps reminding us how, uh, what does he call it? Extraordinary, historic, 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 just over and over and over historic again, he calls it. Um, it's just, you can tell he wants this thing to be viewed a certain way. This is why I always say, by the way, elections are about what media make them. And media people bristle at this. Reporters bristle at this when I say that, and, they, and then they deign to interact with me on this stuff. Um, but it's true. And I have evidence of it. You could just watch all of the coverage of various election cycles. And like, oh, no, no, like something, something, something became the issue. No, 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 the, the guys, whatever, became an issue. Well, why did it become an issue? When you First off, why did that thing become an issue? What was it about that thing, right? And then... When you say it's, quote, an issue, what does that mean? It means lots of attention, right? Lots of attention, lots of media coverage, right? And usually the thing that has occurred is due to what? Media coverage. And so if if the media decides that something is not important to cover, for example, oh, I don't know, just like a random example here, how about uh, the worst economy of any sitting president ever um, and no president with numbers as poor as Barack Obama in 2012 ever won re-election. But the economy was never part of the national discussion. It was about Big Bird, binders of women, and 47%, right? That, those were the issues. Mitt Romney lost. Uh, how about, all right, how about another, uh, we'll do another example. How about John Edwards, right, and his love child, Right. That was. Yeah. How about that? The affair. All of that. Um, How about. Oh, here's a more recent example. How about Bill Clinton and the complete media blackout? Not that he's running for reelection or anything, but there's a complete media blackout on the new documents that are being discovered in the Epstein case and all of the proof that he had flown on these jets to uh, to pedophile island. So like zero coverage of that stuff. Or how about a more local example? Why don't I do this? Zero coverage in the paper of the back the blue rally, the motorcade that occurred. Not a single article. So do you think that local report? And I understand. I think Joel Burgess is like the last one left over there. They got John Boyle. No, they. I'm just kidding. They have. They have. I think another reporter, Mackenzie Wicker. I think that's it though. They're really down to like very few people. And so what happens in those types of scenarios, and look, I worked in a small newsroom, and what happens is that now you have outsized influence on the total product. Like me, right here on this show, I have 100% influence, right? Because I'm the only content creator. And so the more you limit content creators, right, by the numbers or by ideological purity tests where you only have a newsroom staffed with one certain philosophy, you then start restricting the type of content that makes its way to the consumers, so I don't know how many people are left over there. I, I really don't. How many reporters? I don't think there are many. I think, well, then there's Mackenzie Lunsford, I think, and she's, uh, right, so there's like the food critic uh, one. And so like there, there's a sports reporter, I think. So there are like five or six. I, I don't know exactly how many, but there's not many. And this is what ends up happening when you have very few people or very, very limited ideological diversity in a newsroom. You have a you have a direction that the coverage goes. So 
a couple days ago, this was the first story uh, after the, quote, historic journey <laughs> that, uh, that Joel Burgess wrote about at the city council level. He writes a story, and the headline is, City May Take Historic Steps Alone Despite Nearby Wealth. Do you get an idea of where this uh, story is going? Yeah. Now, by the way, if you don't know where your story is going, you know you need to sell your house and get out of Asheville, maybe Buncombe County as well. Call Rowena Patton today. 333-4483. MountainHomeHunt.com is the website. She is the official and only Homes for Heroes real estate agent in Asheville. And um, she, this is a national program that gives buyers and sellers 25% back from realtor commissions. This goes to police officers, firefighters, healthcare professionals, educators, and members of the military, veterans, active duty, and retired. She's given back uh, approaching $800,000 uh, to local people, okay? So if you're in any of those five fields, why would you call anybody else? It's the only, she's the only one I called. 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com. Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team, and then start packing, of course. So the Citizen Times story takes a look at, now that Asheville has already done its reparations vote, who's going to join them? All you white wealthy people. I'm not kidding. This is literally how they frame the story. I almost get the sense here that uh, either, well, a couple things. I kind of get a sense that there are a lot of people itching for a race war, and they're not just the neo-Nazis. Okay, I kind of get the sense that a lot of people would be kind of okay with with something like that occurring. I I don't know. I'm like seriously. Like I think there are a lot of people that are itching for it to happen. I I don't know why. I'm completely opposed to it. I think it would be terrible. Uh, But I think there are a lot of people that seem to be itching to do so. Um, That's the first thing. The other thing is, uh, I don't think these people would even consider these story ideas to be story ideas it wouldn't even cross their minds probably well well maybe but they would never pitch it like if you would simply change black to white white to black rich to poor poor to rich right there are certain groups and socioeconomic populations that you're allowed to talk about in a certain way and others you are not and this is what he's getting at this is why i call him a democrat activist with a byline he's a lefty he's and he's got a byline and so what he's doing here is just like media does because right this this is what they're designed to do is to influence the society is to put forth a story and to try to move people in a certain direction and uh so right out of the gate, here's the start, the start of the story the other day. The city may take its historic journey into reparations without contribu- uh, contributions from nearby wealthy white community. Hey, newsflash Joel Burgess. Asheville is mostly white. All of Western North Carolina is mostly white. The idea that you've targeted the non-Asheville municipalities and uh, towns and such as uh, mostly white, that's not saying much. That's obvious. They are all mostly white. The, it, it is, what he's really angry about is that, is that these are wealthy people and they're not kicking in money. Why aren't you kicking in money? You're wealthy and white. Why aren't you giving money to reparations? There's an audit, there's a built-in assumption to what he's writing about here. 
And it comes through right out of the gate, which I appreciate the fact that you're starting off with the trumpet statement here to let us all know that you're that you want a certain direction um, uh, to be taken by these wealthy white people. The vo- he says that comes just days after Asheville took its extraordinary vote apologizing for centuries of discrimination and saying it would invest in fixes for long-running racial disparities in areas ranging from education to the criminal justice system. In the unanimously approved July 14th resolution, did we mention it's extraordinary and historic, the city council also invited, quote, other local government community organizations to join it. So he decided, well, which ones are there out there that could join it? And so three days he gives them and he starts making calls three days after the historic vote. There it is again, literally saying this is like the fourth paragraph. He's used the word historic twice, three days after the historic vote, officials with those governments said they were pursuing their own programs or in the case of the two wealthiest communities that they didn't uh, didn't have enough money or would wait and see. Oh, hang on. Feels like that's the tone he's going for, don't you think? That's the vibe he's writing with. Biltmore Forest, for example, which borders one of Asheville's poorest areas, Shiloh, a historically black neighborhood, is dominated by a sprawling country club. It's not just a country club. It is a sprawling one. Sprawl's bad, remember? The land and buildings in the wooded town with a population of 1,343 are valued at more than $889 million, according to county records. He went and pulled county records for all the property values in the towns. And then he divided it by the population to come up with the per capita value of the property, which is $662,000 per person. That is more than three times that of Asheville, with a per capita value of $183,000. And so what is he saying? They're rich. They've got all of this property. Why don't you go take it, Joel? Right? How about we confiscate the land? I'd, I'd say that's fair. Why not? Why is that not fair? Well, really, they're wealthy and they're white. They have it coming, obviously. Let's just go take all their property and redistribute it to other people, right? Oh, or are you saying that because the property has a certain value that that means they can afford to give more money to certain programs or something? They can afford, what, higher taxes or something? Is that the idea? Have you ever heard of the term land-rich uh, land rich, cash poor, right? There's a reason that term exists, just like cash-rich land poor, right? This idea that... and. This idea that you can measure somebody's wealth by the property value of the city that they live in, it's not necessarily, I don't know what's the word for it, accurate or honest. Why is this the metric, the per capita property value? Why is that the metric? The per capita property value in Asheville, you took the whole city. What about certain parts of Asheville? Certain parts of Asheville probably have much higher. If I go into individual neighborhoods, why are you using the city as a whole for the per capita, right? Any real estate agent like Rowena Patton would tell you that different areas are going to have different values. In fact, 
one of the things that in Western North Carolina, you know, it's very difficult to get a lot of comps when you're doing research on what to sell your house at, what to value the house at, um, because you could live on the same street as, uh, you know, a, a house that's worth a tenth of what your house is worth. And then right up the road is another house worth 10 times what your house is worth. Right. That's it's one of the things about Asheville and Western North Carolina. You've got really nice, wealthy uh, uh, you know, high value homes and properties right next to quite the opposite. So this idea that you're going to use the per capita property value as some sort of a comparison to what to to guilt people into coughing up tax money. This is it. Once again, it's always the same course of action with these people, right? It's always the same course of action. When times are good and you've got the money, well, we need to raise taxes to pay their fair share and fund all these programs and services. When times are bad, we need to raise taxes because we need to fund all these government programs and services. When you've done nothing wrong, we need to raise your taxes so you can fund all the programs and services against people who were wronged, who are now dead, right? Like It's always the same answer. When all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Seriously, Joel Burgess, Citizen Times, just take their land. Just advocate the taking of their property. That's where this goes, by the way. Because once you've once you've broken it down, this is an interesting window into the mentality. Once you've gone down this path to go and look at, well, how much is their house worth? That is born of envy, right? That's that is a that's an assumption born of envy. You see the house, you see what looks to be an obvious sign of wealth, and so you're now going to say, "Well, you can afford this, so I'm going to take it from you." That's a relativist, moral relativist position, and you're already down this path. So, what's the limiting principle on that? What really, like, oh, well, I'm only going to take a certain percentage of your wealth. I'm only going to mug you for a certain amount of your money. That's what you're arguing for. There is no limiting principle here. And if the property value is the metric you are using to determine whether someone should pay, then why not just take the whole property? Just take it all, redistribute it out. Some countries have actually done this. Yeah, there are lots of examples all over the world. You can find them. Uh, I think the most recent one, well, it's actually occurring, I believe, down in South Africa. You can go check that out. Very interesting results occurring. Speaking of results, you know uh, how important your website is to your business, right? You need it to show up in search engine results, and you want it to look professional and user-friendly. And while you do know your business, you might not know a lot about website design and maintenance. But my friend Schaefer Smith at Schaefer Smith Design, he does. Great design can solve a lot of your site's problems. Professional services, corporate, small business, entrepreneurs, Schaefer Smith can help you all with graphics, photos, an online store, search engine optimization, website maintenance and security. He even does logos. He did mine. Go to SchaeferSmith.com and get the most out of your website. That's SchaeferSmith.com. So uh, Joel Burgess goes through, let's see, the next one um, he's got here is Montreat. That's the second most wealthiest uh, per capita pro- uh, based on property value. That's at $343,000, which, by the way, what's the average price of a home, median home price in Asheville? It's like almost 300000 right now, isn't it? Yeah. That, uh, like, why would you not use that metric? Median home price. I don't know. Um, but they only have like 900 people. This is what kills me, too. Montreat's got like 900 people. And what's the other one? Biltmore Forest has like 1,300 people. And so what is so what, what you're talking about is, look, there's only a couple of them. We can go after them. I mean, pay no attention to the fact that maybe some of these people 
have owned property in those in those areas for generations and now the land is valued at like a much higher level but they may not actually be wealthy at all they just happen to have the good fortune of having you know family that passed it down to them which of course they would more so demand reparations from those families because they passed it down from olden days when slavery existed right so i guess that would be more of a reason to go seize people's land just like really how about this any property worth more than uh let's go four hundred thousand dollars let's just seize it take all of it and uh well you know the people will find they're rich they'll find somewhere else to live and then we just redistribute those properties to other people that you guys deem it's appropriate um the uh let's see here this is after news of Asheville's reparations program went national based on the false narrative Biltmore Forest Mayor George Gooseman said he received calls from friends from other areas asking what was happening in the neighboring city. Gooseman said, quote, I think what we are going to do is sit back and see what Asheville is going to do. They have not called us and asked us. Oh, interesting. So Asheville passes this this resolution calling upon other people to join us, uh, but makes no overtures to its neighbors which is a very Asheville way of governing by the way for folks who aren't uh in Asheville what i have learned over the years being in Asheville and doing the research on the whole water issue fight uh that that uh, blew up at the beginning what around 2012 or so um is that Asheville does not play well with its neighbors. Asheville does not get along with basically anybody else in their area which is why they're trying to take over the county so this way they can dictate uh, what everybody has to do, but Asheville, this has been the this has been what Asheville has been about for a very long time. The city just does not have a long record or a good record of working with its uh, with its neighbors. In Montreat, uh, let's see here. This is uh, Helms. Tim Helms, the mayor says, "quote We w- uh, we could participate in a task force, but have little or nothing financially to give." And so this is why. Joel Burgess mentioned, oh, they, they don't have any money, even though per capita their properties are worth, you know, like $340,000 per person. Again, what what does that have to do with whether or not they can afford to raise their taxes? Um, by the way, there is a freaking pandemic going on right now. Are you aware that like a third of the economy is dead, just gone? Are you aware of the amount of wealth that just got wiped out? You're using these old tax records. Again, like, wh- like what would what would drive a person to use this metric right he's just trying to figure out a way to make them wealthy and white so he can pitch this story as an us versus them because all marxism requires uh the black hats and the white hats and that's not a racial thing it's good guys and bad guys there has to be some opponent if you don't have somebody, you better find one because Marxism does not motivate people unless it has some sort of an opponent, some sort of a villain. And, oh, well, we could find some, usually in Marxism, it's just the rich people, right? But it doesn't really work so well in America because historically anybody can become rich in America. There are stories throughout our history of people becoming rich rags to riches stories only in america the american dream right all of these ideas and so it's not really that believable of a sell to a lot of people particularly to immigrants by the way um but uh, marxism requires this villain and so if you can't use what if you can't use wealth you can't use socioeconomic status how's about a little race literally 
the oldest uh, reductionist argument on the planet, right? We are now going to view everything through the prism of race. Everything has to be racialized. And we're going to judge people based on their race. And so Montreat isn't just a town. Montreat now is a wealthy white town. And so we're going to describe it as that. And so therefore they should pay. Or we're going to describe Biltmore Forest as a wealthy white town. Asheville doesn't get the wealthy white town moniker, even though it is predominantly white, just like all of Western North Carolina. By the way, all of Western North Carolina needs to go to Old Grouch's military surplus in downtown Clyde. Now, more than ever, you need Old Grouch's in your life. He's got an expanded line of first aid kits and medical supplies for all kinds of emergencies, from scrapes to gunshot wounds, with step-by-step instructions that anybody can follow, even me. Maybe avoid a trip to the hospital in these COVID times. He's got body armor, all kinds, made to NATO specs. These are for in-store or over-the-phone purchases only. Face masks made locally by a disabled veteran family. They make them out of military parachutes, so they're lightweight and soft. Steel gas cans, the pre-band kind, the old school ones, the, the good ones, plus tons of real U.S. military surplus, of course. For more than three decades, Old Grouch's military surplus on Main Street in downtown Clyde. Yes, the shop is open Monday through Saturday across the street from the anti-aircraft gun and at oldgrouch.com. Oldgrouch.com. So... Uh, one of the hangups at the county level, which by the way, this is still from that same story. I have a whole bunch of show prep and at the rate I'm going, I don't know if I'm going to get to it all, but Pete, it's a podcast. You can talk for as long as you want. This is true. But then I got to do a lot more editing to get it onto the radio stations. Anyway, so this one story, Asheville reparations, city may take historic steps alone despite nearby wealth. What's interesting is he, he goes and he hits, um, Billmore Forest. He hits Montreat. And, do, 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 and that's it. Why didn't you go for Swananoa? But not interested? Don't care about Swananoa? What kind of wealth Swananoa's got going on down there? No? Old Fort? No. What? Woodfin? No? In county government? No, he goes to the county level. Let's go up to the county level. It covers all Buncombe residents. That's a good way. Just catch them all up, right? Um, Al Whitesides. The one black member of the Board of County Commissioners. You know what he said originally? Um, He said he thought the programs enacted by the county were their own form of reparations. Well, that's interesting. Democrat, county commissioner, black fella. He says, and he worked in banks. So like when it comes to like uh, financial issues, he's actually really conservative um, because he's a former bank guy. And uh, he, he understands how, you know, math works. He understands economics. He understands uh, budgets. So he's asked about all of this. And he says, no, no, no. We have the pillars in place. We're attacking this in education, healthcare, the justice system, economic development. We have the five-year plan <clears throat> with the goals and, way to me- and ways to measure it. Um, and he said he thought that was, that was enough. We don't need to do this separate resolution. And so he was actually balking, (laughs) unlike the other three white Democrats on the commission. Brownie Newman was in favor of it. Beach Ferrara's in uh, in favor of it. Well, at first, in this original article, they were playing coy, or they didn't reply. Uh, They didn't want to let their uh, voices be known. But then, but then, a few days later, new headline, Asheville reparations set to expand to surrounding county. The story starts off, it's once again by 
Joel Burgess, the activist with the byline, he says, quote, The city's groundbreaking reparations initiative for black residents is set to expand following a notable shift in Buncombe County government, prompted by me. I did it. He didn't say that last part. I threw that last part in. Uh, He calls it then historic reparations. um, And he says the county, uh, other local governments can participate by joining this task force. Leaders, he then quotes the story, leaders of nearby, his own story, the leaders of nearby wealthy white towns said they would wait and see before deciding to join or they had no funding to offer because of the pandemic. Right. Yeah, maybe they don't. Hey, you know what? I bet Asheville's not going to have any money either, Joel. I bet the county's not going to have any money. You know why? It's a freaking pandemic and more so than it being a pandemic, government shut down the entire economy for half of the year so far. So, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not thinking there's going to be a lot of tax revenue to fund all of these, uh, uh, these programs and, and recommendations. But, hey, you know what? Got a task force. That's the important thing, right? We got the headlines. And so uh, our job is done. Maybe Joel will get an award out of this. You know he's going to file for it. A notable holdout was the one black commissioner, Al Whitesides, a Democrat whose District 1 currently covers most of Asheville. Whitesides, who participated in early local desegregation efforts, had said the county's own groundbreaking initiatives on race were a form of reparations and it wasn't necessary to join the city. Those initiatives are centered on the county's planned declaration of racism as a public health and safety crisis. That is also on the agenda for Tuesday evening. Whitesides, though, flipped and now says he will support the formal reparations resolution. And so you can expect that to pass. Um, That's tomorrow night. Here is, let's see here. So they've got two things, right? They have their reparations resolution and they have the racism is a um, is a health problem. Uh, Declaring racism a public health and safety crisis crisis they say examples of the and what what do they cite here and by the way if you are interested in learning more about what i'm about to mention here i've got another podcast from last week where i talk about the wages of woke with charles fane lehman uh and uh, from the washington free beacon the disparate outcomes if you have a disparate outcome a different outcome if you have outcomes that's that that are that are uh obviously significant based on race like if you're looking at uh hey we have these people they were all competing for x and white people did well black people did not that is a disparate outcome and if you have that kind of disparate outcome then that proves systemic racism that's the idea here so any kind of dis uh, disparity in any kind of outcome is proof of racism and by the way if if anybody accuses you of being part of that racist system and you deny that that then makes you a racist okay and if you are of the opinion that people should assimilate into the system so as to have more success then you are deemed to be an assimilationist and also a racist right it's just it it, it's circular logic it keeps always coming back to it you know this idea that it proves itself and it doesn't by the way it doesn't Disparate outcomes, right, could be 
related to a whole host of reasons. Like, for example, we covered this over the years, the, the difference in pay for men and women. And you hear, oh, women make, what, 78 cents on the dollar for every, yeah, that, ever, that a man does in the same job. And we've, we've gone over those numbers in the past. And if you just look at the disparate outcome and you say, okay, men working in a you know, software engineer job at this company, and they make X, and woman software engineer at this other company, she makes X minus you know, 20 cents, then, ha, it proves sexism. When it doesn't, it doesn't prove anything, actually. You actually have to go find out why she's making less at the job. And when you actually go and do the research, you find out that the women aren't making as much as the men because they don't work as many hours. Men work way more hours. And women take years out of the profession to stay at home, raise kids for a couple of years. Now, you could say that's sexism or something, you know, that the culture demands it or whatever. But then you got to find out why women are staying home. I think part of it is the fact that men cannot birth the child and cannot breastfeed the child. But, you know, I'm open to these ideas. No, I know what I just said is probably transphobic in all sorts of ways. Men can breastfeed too, Pete. So uh, you have this you have this idea that disparate outcomes equals systemic racism, even though it's not true. Here's something, though, uh, that is true. You can get a great deal on a mattress at Mattress Man. It's true has been for years. That's where Christy and I bought our mattress years ago, and we love Mattress Man. And right now they've got a great deal. Zero down, 0% APR financing for up to 24 months, so no interest for two years, and zero payments for 90 days. The triple zero deal. And uh, hot deals to keep you cool, $399 for the Queen Gel Memory Foam Mattress free bedding bundle including sheets a protector and pillows with the purchase of select mattresses uh, go to mattressmanstores.com check out all of the inventory or go to any of their four locations in the area Asheville, Arden and Hendersonville they do ship nationwide let the sleep consultants help you find the right bed for you five star delivery service a 120 day comfort guarantee experience the difference at Mattress Man buy local and sleep better Alrighty, and so the uh, county is taking up this resolution at tomorrow night's meeting, uh, and they go through a number of uh, statistics. And I don't deny any of these statistics. And I don't deny, by the way, that these statistics are, in fact, due to the remnants, the last vestiges of racism. I have no, like, for example, uh, the Urban Renewal Program, where they leveled black areas of Asheville and other cities all around America. And, I mean, they leveled white areas as well. Don't get me wrong. There were white people that got displaced, uh, poor white people as well, because the whole point was to uh, to level these neighborhoods that were uh, afflicted with high levels of poverty and, you know, blight. And, um, and, and by the way, some of them were, like, disease-ridden because they were built in really bad, like, drainage areas, you know, of the city. Um, at any rate... Uh, I have no doubt that there are components of what they're laying out here that are, in fact, due to some form of racism over the years. And I'm open to the idea, particularly with the government seizing property to redevelop, to build government buildings. Like, I'm very open to the idea of, okay, well, who are those families that had their property taken from them? And who are the businesses that lost their property as well? And we need to pay them. Those government needs to pay those people. So in Buncombe County, you got 21% of white homeowners experience housing cost burden, which I assume means that it's over a third of their their pay goes to uh, their housing costs. 
I assume. So only 21% of whites experience that. Meanwhile, 39% of blacks experience it. Uh, 12% of white kids versus 24% of black kids live in poverty. 40% of Hispanic kids live in poverty, though. Um, I'm not, I don't think we're giving them reparations, though. But they threw that Hispanic quote in there. I'm not sure why, but because I, I don't think reparations is covering Hispanics, but at, at least right now. Maybe down the road. We'll see. Um, in 2016, 13, well, eight, let's, say, let's call it 14% of whites experienced poverty, 27% of blacks, and 36% of Hispanics. Uh, the average per capita income for whites was 28,000, blacks was 15,000, Hispanics, 13,000. Life expectancy is about six years shorter for black residents. And black babies are about four times at higher risk of dying before their first birthday. Death rates are higher for black residents. And um, blacks and Native Americans have an incarceration rate of three to four times higher than whites. And in 2019, uh, residents of Buncombe County make up 6% of the population. Sorry, yeah, black Americans make up uh, 6% of Buncombe's population, 25% of the jail population, and almost 70% of gun violence victims. I don't think that's a white cause for that one, though. I'm, I don't think white people are running around murdering black people all over the place. That's not happening. So what's happening is black-on-black crime. They are inordinately so victims of violent crime. Which brings us to the question of poverty, because that's what this is really about, right? Poverty. People who don't think that they have any chance of getting out of their current situation of becoming wealthier, more well-off, right? That there's no future for them tend to engage in self-destructive behavior and and community-destructive behavior. Um, And so a lot of that is rooted in poverty. So how do you lift people out of poverty? Glad you asked. There's actually research that indicates some of the best ways to do it. And unfortunately, for a lot of our friends on the left, it's not government. It's not. It's not government. We keep hammering away at these because they are so important and they should be taught to everybody. And when you hear politicians talk about poverty and generational wealth, systemic racism, when you hear politicians and activists talk about these topics, if they don't ever mention the three ways to get out of poverty, to almost virtually guarantee that you will not be in poverty, or if you are in it, you will get out of it, then you know that they're either uninformed themselves or they're being dishonest for a particular motive, right? So these are the three things. Say them with me. Have a high school diploma, right? Graduate high school, number one. Number two, have a job, any job. Doesn't matter, any job will do. Number three, Don't have kids before you get married, and don't get married before you graduate high school. There you go. The three rules. You follow those three rules, and the chances are overwhelming. No matter what race you are, no matter what gender you are, you will not be in poverty. Follow those three rules. Have a job. In other words, work, right? That's what what the rule is. Work. And if you work and you get a high school diploma at least, and you don't have out-of-wedlock children. Now, what has government programs done to the American black family for the last, what, 60 years now, right? What, what, has, what has the government incentivized but 
the destruction of all three of those norms, which, which, by the way, before those programs were instituted, African-Americans had higher uh, family uh, rates of family unit cohesion than whites. So do I blame government for the destruction of the black family and thereby damning them to generations of poverty and violence? I do, actually. Yes, I do. That's how I that's what I view uh, government to have done to them. I think it's completely evil. Maybe they did it with the best of intentions, but at this point, now, if I can find this information, and by the way, this information comes from the progressive Brookings Institute, not some right-wing think tank. That's the Brookings Institute. This is research that has been borne out over decades, yet we don't ever hear anybody advocating for these rules. Now ask yourself why. And ask yourself, why have I not gotten any wall art yet from Red Rock Photo? From Red Rock Photography, Stacy Redman. Come on, go to redrockphotonc.com. Go take a look at what he's got to offer. And if you use the promo code PETE, you'll get 20% off some of the most amazing, stunning photos of the Blue Ridge Mountains you will ever find. RedRockPhotoNC.com. Stacy Redman is from here. He's from Western North Carolina, shooting landscapes for two decades. Brilliant, striking, easily affordable for any space. RedRockPhotoNC.com. Again, the promo code is Pete and get 20% off. RedRockPhotoNC.com. In some other news, the Mountain Express reports that the county commissioners tomorrow night are going to be uh, also appointing six members to the Joint City-County Vance Monument Task Force, which will decide the fate of the now-shrouded obelisk. Uh, It looks like, for folks who have never seen the Vance Monument, it looks like the Washington Monument, but it's smaller. It's like, I don't know, 40 feet high. And they, they erected scaffolding around this thing and hung black tarps all around it and so it's like this big square post in the middle of uh downtown Asheville because it's a monument to Zebulon Vance uh the governor uh that came from Buncombe County I think Buncombe County's only governor in North Carolina history and he just so happened to be the governor at the time of the Civil War total racist slave owner so um now they've got this task force that'll decide the fate uh, of this monument the list of 19 possible members got published before the meeting and they had to uh, winnow that down from a pool of 116 applicants. Um, Buncombe County is also going to get more budgetary breathing room. They're getting a second round of COVID relief funding. And the commission is also going to be doing a briefing at three o'clock Tuesday, during which members will discuss sidewalk policy, uh, I-26 aesthetics and opposing the construction of the Catawba Indian Nation Casino in Kings Mountain. Why is the Buncombe County Commissioners, uh, Commission, why why are they taking a position on something in Kings Mountain? Like, that's not even your county, guys. That's like an hour away almost. What are you doing? (laughs) Well, it's because the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians, they have the Harris Casino, in uh, this part of the state, and uh, they don't want all those folks from Charlotte stopping at the Catawba Indian Nation Casino on the way up, uh, uh, I guess it would probably be, what, uh, I-85, right? Uh, Stop off there, blow a bunch of money, and then you don't have as much money to blow at the uh, Harris Casino, I guess. That's, yeah. The state's not big enough for two Indian gambling operations. (laughs) 
So Buncombe County is going to weigh in on that, which is interesting considering their desire for the reparations and all. It's kind of a interesting juxtaposition. So you're saying you don't want the Native Americans to extract from largely white populations these, uh, uh, these I don't know what you want to call them. I've, I've heard gambling, you know, tax on the stupid. Oh, that's the lottery, though. Uh, but So you don't want them extracting this wealth from white folks? Interesting. Um, not reported in the paper, Back the Blue. This was a motorcade procession that drove through Asheville. I saw this on social media. There was uh, one event uh, in the mountains this weekend, according to WLOS, uh, which aimed to show support for law enforcement. The Back the Blue rally started off in Swannanoa around 10 a.m. Uh, on August 1st. Organizers said the purpose of the event wasn't to be political, but to show support for those in law enforcement, especially APD, the Sheriff's Office, and the State Highway Patrol. Demonstrators drove through downtown Asheville to loudly and boldly show their support. They were honking their horns and stuff. I saw some of the uh, the commentary uh, from our local lefties on uh, a Facebook group called the West Asheville Exchange. Uh, pretty interesting. They were all very upset that uh, that this motorcade was blocking traffic. <laughs> I mean, they weren't. They, the motorcade never stopped, by the way. And the motorcade, they just kept driving. But apparently they ran some lights. Some of the cars ran lights as part of the motorcade, much like a funeral procession kind of a deal. But they did not, as far as I know, they did not have a police escort. And so all of these leftists are like, they were breaking the law. Oh, my gosh. They were just completely ignoring the law and, and creating all these traffic problems and jamming up the downtown and I got stuck behind this motorcade and I couldn't get through and blah, blah, blah. It's like now all of a sudden we're supposed to accommodate their concerns about being uh, you know, discouraged from the thoroughfare, right? The same people that are out in the streets blocking people's cars, banging on the hoods and stuff, walking around all day, violating all sorts of other various laws with rioting and looting and such, right? Now we're supposed to have sympathy for their plight that they got held up. They were inconvenienced on the way to a brewery on Saturday afternoon. Uh, meanwhile, the riots and protests that went on for weeks, you know, that's just you, you need to you need to accept that because that's our speech. See, that's our First Amendment rights being exercised right there. And so uh, you need to accommodate us for that. We don't need to accommodate you for that, of course. There was also another motorcade. This one went all over the state. It was called the North Carolina Prayer Drive, and it made its way through the mountains. Also on Saturday, met up in Clyde to start. And then the caravan traveled down I-26, went through Hendersonville and Spartanburg, and then organizers say it uh, then went through Charlotte, I think, at one point up to Hickory and then came back to Asheville. Organizers say, according to WLOS, that it symbolizes unity and prayer for hoping and healing in Carolina communities. Quote, we are uniting the folks in the community to pray for our nation, praying for government, praying for people in responsibility, said organizer Brian Johnson. Um, not covered in the paper either. Maybe they just don't do motorcade coverage. That's possible. Okay. Um, also, found this story pretty interesting. The uh, WLOS reporting as well. Taylor Young, a reward is being offered for information on who put the Trump 2020 sticker on a bear. And I'm not talking about like a stuffed bear, teddy bear. I'm talking an actual bear. Somebody put 
a sticker on a bear. Well, on its collar. So if this doesn't make sense to you. So a lot. Of, so what happens out here in the mountains is you got a lot of bears. And so uh, the the animal people, whatever they the forestry people, I don't know who does it, but they put these these uh, tracking devices, these collars, you know, on the bears. And so then they can track movement and stuff like that. And they know they're like they're tagged and everything and like, oh, that's such and such a bear, you know, uh, and uh, they, you know, study them and their migratory patterns and whatever. Anyway. Uh, somebody slapped a Trump 2020 sticker on the collar of this bear. <laughs> it's, now, the, this it's one of the circular ones. It's like a small window decal kind of a one, probably about, I don't know, six inches across. And, and so now you're wondering, like, how did this turn up? Well, a local group of activists is outraged because, of course, they are. After a black bear was recently... Why has it got to be a black bear? What's up with that? It was recently seen in Asheville with a political sticker on its collar. (laughs) Help Asheville Bears is the name of the group. They are offering a $5,000 reward for anyone who can find out who put the sticker on the bear's collar. Which for $5,000, I will admit to doing it. (laughs) Give me... I did it. Give me your five grand. I've identified myself. You should pay me. (laughs) You know what the first question I had on this story, which was never addressed in the piece? How did somebody do it? Right? How did somebody do it? I can't explain how you would go about actually uh, sanitizing and disinfecting a large space. Like, for example, if you own a restaurant, you own uh, any kind of a business, actually. Uh, or how about you're in charge of places of worship or childcare facilities? Uh, maybe you have an Airbnb. Maybe you're a real estate agent. You want to make sure that the place you're showing uh, people is going to be disinfected, right? How about this? The Karcher Misting System with Vital Oxide Disinfectant. It is available at General Equipment Rental in Weaverville. You rent this equipment, which is super easy, versatile. It's on four wheels. It's got a cord. It's cordless and has a little uh, wand, you know, that you use. And you just spray everything down. And it is an all-in-one, hospital-grade, EPA-approved germicidal disinfectant sanitizer and deodorizer. It kills 99.9% of infection-causing bacteria and viruses like E. coli, MRSA, H1N1, and yes, the coronavirus COVID-19. So uh, it also, by the way, takes care of mold, mildew, and fungi. Uh, no rinse required, non-toxic, hypoallergenic. It's odorless, colorless, and 100% biodegradable. Safe for kids, safe for pets, safe for food contact services. And once you spray it, you're good for like a week to 10 days. And then all you got to do is go back and spot clean. It is the Karcher Misting System with Vital Oxide Disinfectant. Uh, it is only at General Equipment Rental in Weaverville. It is your source, okay? Go rent one of these, spray down your place, and then have peace of mind. You're done, right, for the next week. Um, it'll keep it treated for up to 10 days, then just spot clean. General Equipment Rental, family-owned and operated for three generations. They're at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road in Weaverville. Go to generalrents.com slash Pete and get a coupon for two free cloth face coverings. Generalrents.com slash Pete. Pete. General Equipment Rental in Weaverville, generalrents.com. Think outside your toolbox. So this Help Asheville Bears group, they're offering five grand for anybody who can find out who put the sticker on the collar. Sheila Chapman 
tells News 13 that the black bear wandered onto her front porch in North Asheville on July 31 when she... Well, that's the first thing right there is how... Like, you need to find out who's got Trump stickers in North Asheville. Of all places of town, like that... <laughs> well, maybe the bears migrated a, while, uh, a long distance. Um so she sees something colorful on his collar. She says bear sightings have become pretty common in her area, but she grabbed her phone to take pictures of the sticker. The thing is on her porch. And I saw the pictures. Like, she's, like, right on the other side of a window from the thing. And she says, we have so many places in this world to put stickers and express our political views. Using a wild animal for that is cruel and inhuman. It's not okay. Okay, it's not cruel, nor is it inhuman. Okay, just relax. You're being hysterical. That is ridiculous. Putting a sticker on a collar of a bear is not inhumane, inhuman, or cruel. I'm not saying it's okay. I think it's really risky behavior. I would like to know who did it because I want to know how they did it. How did you get close enough to this bear? Was it sleeping? Did you? Was it on your porch and you just like reached out the window and like slapped a, a sticker on its collar? Uh, I mean, that's pretty gutsy, you know. Or stupid, maybe a little bit of both. After spotting the sticker, she reached out to the Help Asheville Bears group. A spokesperson for the organization says this is not the first time a bear was spotted in Asheville with a political sticker on its collar. <gasps> really? So it's not just the the inhuman, cruel, not okay Trump supporters that did it? <laughs> maybe... What other political stickers? I would have liked to have known that wasn't in the article, though. But I thought that was interesting. <laughs> For real. I'd like to, I, I hope someone does come forward because once I find out who it is, I'm going to ask to interview them because I want to know how they did it. That's a wrap for this episode. Remember, please subscribe to this podcast and give it a positive review. I appreciate that. Maybe consider becoming a patron of the program. You'll get cool stuff and exclusive content. Links are all at thepetecalendarshow.com and in the description of this podcast. Thanks so much for the support. I appreciate it. Talk to you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone.